0: Hey everybody, Jeff here. Quick PSA for you all. Just want to remind everyone to vote. Whether you mail in your ballot, drop it off at the many locations around town, or go to your polling place one week from today on November 3rd, make a plan and stick to it. And not just because of the importance of the presidential race. There are numerous state, local, and city propositions to vote on, and some of us are electing supervisors. Okay back to the show.
1: She said your birth caused me all my suffering. His he just came right out. But I was the one who ma- mangled her up inside. So she had a very special kind of connection to me. You know, I was the one who almost killed her.
0: That was poet and author Alan Kaufman. Welcome to Storied San Francisco. I'm your host, Jeff Hunt. In this podcast, Alan takes us back to France just as World War II was getting underway there. His Jewish mother and grandmother escaped the Nazis and fled to the mountains in Italy. As an adult, Alan had the opportunity to visit the small town where his relatives hid out, which he shares with us in this podcast. His mom eventually made it to the Bronx, where she met Alan's father. He talks about growing up there, from life at home with his mother and her trauma from the Holocaust to New York City schoolyards. In high school, Alan picked up a book that helped inspire him to leave New York and head out west. Here's Alan.
1: So, um, let's see, I was born in Manhattan at the French hospital. My mother was called, it was called the French hospital. It was on 53rd street. Um, My mother was a French Jewish Holocaust survivor. My father was a Bronx Jewish street guy, like real street guy.
0: Okay. Born over here though. In the Bronx. Or in the Bronx, Bronx, New York. In the U.S. Oh yeah. yeah.
1: And he was third generation American from Russia. Okay. His family came from Russia. Um, My great uncle on his side was Abraham Kahan. Who started a, a newspaper called the Jewish Daily Forward? Mm. It, was Yiddish, yes. it was a Yiddish newspaper, mm-hmm. and it was the preeminent newspaper of immigrants coming, you know, at the turn of the century from Russia, mm-hmm. mainly, and Poland. Um, so he was the he was my great uncle, and Isaac Bashevis Singer uh, wrote for him in the newspaper. The Sue Singer brothers, I J and I B Singers, um, so that but my and my mother came from a very kind of cultured French Jewish family mm-hmm. who were whose origins were in Poland okay um, but my father was just you know fourth grade education mm. street guy gambler mm-hmm. kind of guy mm-hmm. um, and uh, there was a lot of criminality on his side of the family
0: but on the Kaufman side
1: on the Kaufman side like Got I have it. two cousins that died uh, in prison one was in sing sing uh, one oh. was in uh, rikers island i have a third one was in for murder the other was in for attempted murder they were real gangsters yeah and then uh, jewish gangsters yeah and then uh, a third brother who um died in his mother's bathtub with a needle hmm. in his arm from heroin overdose okay so that was my father's family wow um, and I didn't really experience much of my mother's family, you know. They would come, they came like once or twice to visit. Um, but it was always like <laughs> they were tiptoeing around and then running, you know. Uh, Her family was still in France or? Oh, yeah. Yeah. In Paris and Caracas, Venezuela.
0: Okay. Did they speak English or?
1: Um, well, they spoke French. Yeah. Uh, my mother spoke flawed English, very flawed English, um, with a French accent. Mm hmm. And my father spoke, you know, Bronx English.
0: Yeah. And so how did they meet your parents?
1: They're, well, after the, my mother was in the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. And so she was in the Holocaust from 1940 until 1945. She was in hiding mm-hmm. um, in France and then in Italy. Mm-hmm. Um, she was, you know, arrested when she was 12 years old mm-hmm. with my grandmother. All her brothers and her father had gone into hiding in the south of France. Okay. But they didn't think that the Nazis were going to take the women and children. Okay. Big, big miscalculation. Right. They came and they arrested my grandmother and my mother. And there was a big roundup on July twenty first, 1942, of all the French Jews of Polish origin.
0: So specific.
1: Yeah. And it was like 20,000 Jews. Um, and my mother was arrested. They, they came up and they arrested her. and. When she got downstairs, um, my grandmother begged this French gendarme, policeman, mm-hmm. that they had no food with them and could they just get some food in the boulangerie, the bakery across the street. Mm-hmm. And he understood. He said, go, take your daughter and go buy yourself bread. Mm-hmm. They got they got to the boulangerie and then they ran. Um, they hid in a doorway, they saw, jews french jews on the buses the buses were pulling out waving and um of that uh, group uh, i think almost all of them died at aukswist um and uh it was very very like a handful i think it was 53 survivors that roundup so they got i'm sorry where in france was this Paris.
0: this was in paris okay
1: oh yeah and you can read up about this, this is mm-hmm. all. So, um, um, they got in touch with my, I have a, an uncle, their my mother's older brother, who was connected with the French resistance. Okay. He smuggled them into the south of France, okay. which is a harrowing account. It's all documented in these letters that my mother left me. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, you said your mother was ten or twelve at the time. She was twelve. Twelve. Okay. At the time.
0: So she has full memories of. Oh yeah. All that. No, she remembered and, and
1: She was actually those those letters, which are online. Uh, my my papers and books and all this stuff are collected by the uh, Special Collections Library at the University of Delaware. Okay. And they um, opened up. You know, I told them I have these letters from my mother they opened up her she has her own website oh wow i'll send you a link to that with the letters and telling the, her story amazing i mean she never would have imagined in her life because she died in 2000 in 1994 she never would have imagined that that would happen
0: the internet you mean it was getting. it had
1: to do with um the fact that my career right became a platform for her life story got it which was a mirror it was a miracle yeah. So she would never have, like, imagined that. Wow. So um, that's all there. Um, and you can... I'll, I'll send you a link. You can read the letters. You can read about her.
0: Yeah. Please do. It was a
1: harrowing story. Um, I went back. To, I went to Italy to trace her route where she ended up. And I met the people from the Italian underground in the mountains. I went... It's a whole Them story. Them or their descendants? I met... The son of the woman who was part of the group that hid him. Wow. And the place where they were hidden.
0: I mean, to state the obvious, that must have been yeah. crazy emotional.
1: Well, that's a whole crazy story, too. I'll tell let's you that. Tell, one. Let's hear
0: it. We're here, we're here for crazy stories.
1: Okay, I was in, <laughs> uh, I kept getting invited to these uh, literary festivals in mm-hmm. Austria and Germany. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's one called Sprachsalz that it's in uh, it's in Austria in the Alps mm-hmm. so I was invited there you know and um, the organizers live in Zurich so they invited me to come to Zurich after the festival to stay in Zurich for a week so I went I stayed in Zurich for a week it was wonderful so with James Joyce you know hung out and all that yeah um, then I said you know they said what are you gonna do now I said because I had other gigs that I had to do in like Berlin and in uh, Salzburg and all these different places I said I'm going to in the next few days I'm going to use the next few days to go to Italy and find where my mother was hiding with the the Italian underground so the wife Magdalena she said the wife of the organizer um, she said well let's look on the internet and see how would you get there there was no way to get there Okay. There was night like the best you could do was to take a train to this distant place and then maybe catch a bus to a city that was a town that was really kind of near it but not and then the place itself is like in the mountains. I'm
0: thinking that's the point, right? Mm-hmm. Is to have to the hide them somewhere. It was in get. the
1: mountains. So, um <laughs> so I was like, "Oh, well, I'll figure it out, right. you know. I'll get there." Yeah. And uh, they said, no, no, no. She turned to Heinz, her husband, and Elias, who was another organizer. And she said, "Um, take him. She ordered her husband to take me there. She said, take him there. So I was like, are you serious? Really? I mean, yes, they're gonna drive you there from Zurich to this place in the mountains in Italy. Wow. I was like, thank you, you know. Yeah. While we're driving, they begin to talk about their backgrounds.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Elias's father was in the Wehrmacht. Mm-hmm. You know, these are Austrians, Germans. Right. In the Wehrmacht, and he was in the invasion of Russia. They did bad, bad things. Yeah. Heinz, who was driving, his father was in the SS. OK, wow. And he said outright, my father killed Jews jesus they were making amends yeah it was an incredible moment i was like wait a minute i'm on my way to the north of italy in the mountains where my mother was being hidden by the italian underground and i'm being driven there by the two sons of nazis right what i mean what are the odds um we get to this town in the north it's a little town um very christian Hmm. very catholic Mm -hmm. very religious but also they're communists okay they're italian communists okay and religious and this was in the only in italy (laughs) not when was this 80s 90s no this was in uh 2000 and uh 2014 oh okay
0: five years Uh, ago so italian catholic communists in the ma- in the mountains
1: in the mountains um, in this little city and uh, so we got there and we're running around asking people you know um, I knew that the name of the family were malkio malchio that's the family the, mal- the family that hit her okay so I'm running around and says you know do you know of malchio the family Mal nobody knew nobody hmm. so anyway heinz and Elias went off to buy some food because we were starving and I wandered into this like little tiny tourist office. It was like tiny, and it was two elderly Italian ladies sitting there talking. It's like hi, excuse me, you know, I'm looking for a family called Malchio, and one of goes, Ah oh, yes, yeah, Sissy, Malchio, yeah, yeah. She points into the mountains. She goes, There, there, Malchio. They live in a place called San, San Pons. Okay, that was the name of the village. Okay, and that letter is that name is in my mother's letters.
0: Hmm.
1: It's like, oh my God. So I get Elias <laughs> and Heinz uh, and we jump into the car and we're driving into the mountains and we pass this little spire of a little church in the mountains that my mother mentions in her letters.
0: Mm.
1: We get up there, we're driving and driving, the road's getting narrower and narrower, the mountain's getting higher and higher. At one point we're driving and i look looked out over the side, I mean literally, sheer drop, you know, off the edge. Yeah. <laughs> one wrong move we're finished yeah and there's and there's no road at a certain point it's just dirt mm-hmm. so we're like you know maybe this is a mistake you know maybe because there's no signs there's nothing all of a sudden up ahead we see a couple of goats we creep up with the car more goats a whole herd of goats and we see a sign written in rope it's like weathered rope sand ponds on this like piece of wood we turn into this tiny little village a hamlet yeah and there's a lady an italian lady i'll never forget wearing sneakers <laughs> um, at a well drawing water from a well so we go up and i don't i don't speak none of us spoke italian these guys speak german and english and i speak you know so um uh, we go up at least i just go up i say, Scusa, scusa. I said, Malchio, Malchio. She goes, Sisi. she goes, she brings back the son of the woman who took care of, who hid my mother. Wow. We're friends on Facebook. So, uh, anyway, through S- yeah, uh, uh, well. I mean, broken English and through yeah. a little of this and a little of that, you know, and he's, he knew right away, and also very interesting... <laughs> He was talking about the underground, how they would meet in this place in the village mm-hmm. from all of the north, the northern region, they would meet there mm. in this village. It was like the most remote it's place. It's a good place be. to hide and be secretive. Hiding. Not only that, but they weren't Italian originally. Hmm. He came from a family that was Spanish
0: okay. from
1: Spain. Wow. He said that his family in the 19th century were mercenaries, who who were fighting against Napoleon. My goodness. And what happened was, you know, when Napoleon invaded Spain in the 19th century, he committed all these atrocities. Mm-hmm. He was fight. They were fighting against Napoleon. They were At- They were Spanish mercenaries. Wow. Fighting against Napoleon. And what happened was, um, Napoleon defeated them, as we know. That's what Goya his Drawings are about, and um, so they came over the mountains into the north of France, and they settled in Saint-Pons.
0: They went to, went into
1: hiding. Oh, De Monte. That's the name of the city. The town. But, De Monte. San,
0: but up in the the little village with the goats and the well was Saint-Pons. pons My goodness.
1: Yes, yeah, there's De Monte, and then there's Saint-Pons in the mountains. Okay. How did your mom?
0: And I assume her mother. How did they get out of there? Out of to, that town, the village. Yeah, to, to get to the. Did they go straight to the U.S.?
1: Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> That's a whole story. I mean, they. Even how did they get into San? Pa- how did they get to the Monte? Is a whole story. But anyway, um, what happened was that um, they may if Well, it's not after the war, but when the Germans retreated from Italy um the uh uh, the allies moved in the allies came to sicily and uh, they were in the they weren't all the way up there in the north so the germans withdrew from that region Mm -hmm. when they withdrew my mother and her mother um went south trying to get to france and that's a whole how they got to france alive because there were Germans all along the way who were killing people left and right. They just came across you. They just killed you immediately yeah. because they just, they had nothing to lose. They were leaving. Um, they just killed like crazy on the way out of France. So she got to Paris, and I'll show you her document from then. She got to Paris. Uh, she was now 17. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see there's a picture of her on this document they gave her that says she's a Holocaust survivor Mm. from the French government Mm -hmm. and that she's 17. Um, They uh, stayed in Paris for a little while and then she wanted to go to the United States, but they wouldn't let anybody in. Mm. So she went to Caracas, Venezuela by herself. She was like 19, Mm -hmm. 18 or 19. And she started a Children's Clothing Factory Wow. By herself. I oh. mean, you know, just a couple of ladies in Venezuela like sewing children's clothing and yeah. then she would sell them to people back in Paris. She started at Children's Clothing Factory.
0: Were there other French expats there?
1: Very few. That like, she knew
0: or... Very, very few. Do you know why specifically she went to Caracas?
1: Yeah, because that was the only place you could get to. Got it. In other words, there were certain Latin American countries that were letting in expats from nazi expats like in you know we know about the those. boys from brazil
0: chile and peru and argentina they had
1: some jews okay and um and she was able to connect with them the awesome. jewish community there and to they gave her a place to live and and then she started to move her hands and feet and to make some macha as they say in yiddish you know make a living yeah and it did very well but her dream, my aunt Beatrice in Paris told me. I said, well, "How did she end up marrying my father?" My father was this like, he was devastatingly handsome guy, like devastatingly. Was handsome. that part of it? No doubt, okay. no doubt. <laughs> yeah. He was really my father was. Yeah. A good-looking guy. Okay. And, um, but you know, not. I mean, no education, mm-hmm. gambling. You know, no, no purpose in life, nothing. She was very kind of driven person, you know, like get things done, but not him. Uh, they met. She, she, her dream, my aunt Beatrice in Paris told me her dream was to marry an American and have to give birth to children in America. Huh. Free.
0: Okay. To be free.
1: Yeah. She wanted no more war. Yeah, sure. I was like, why didn't she go to Israel? You know, what I mean, a lot of Holocaust survivors went to Israel. No. No war. She wanted no war, no drama she wanted to live in a quiet place that was gar- and she didn't trust france or europe anymore mm-hmm. completely lost you know she was arrested by french police in Germany. you drama, know what i mean she yes. just you no know, and, and they don't talk about that Oh, well, they did they do now but for like 25 years marcel offels made a film called the sorrow and the pity about the french collaboration with the nazis mm. and Nobody wanted to show that film in America, in in France. You couldn't even show that film in France. Wow. It was a big scandal. The fact that the French and other European countries collaborated Mm -hmm. with the Germans to send Jews to the concentration camps. Right. Anyway, so...
0: But your mom had this dream. Free children. A very specific, I want to move to the United States, marry an American... Marry an American, American
1: have American American. children. Free, because everybody then was like, America was the free it was freedom yes that's what she wanted
0: we don't mean it didn't cost anything we mean f- free
1: free in the sense it that nobody's going to put you in a concentration right. camp because you're jewish
0: and i assume uh, tell me if i'm wrong i'm assuming you know new-, new york was by and large the place jewish that you went if you were new york is jewish jewish yeah. city yeah
1: she went to new york yeah. um, she met my father through she had an aunt in the, in the bronx who knew my father's aunt Oh. And they made what's called a shiddach, like an arranged meeting. And my father, you know <laughs> I mean really, he I heard from my uncle terrible stories about how my what my father did with my mother, you know. Uh, okay. Seduced her, you know, completely like it's like Madame Bovary. Okay. <laughs> Tragic.
0: Was there anything else that your aunt told you about what it was about your dad, other than he was this lucky American <laughs> that your mom ended up looking for um,
1: Yeah, he was uh, he was like innocent. Hmm. Like he had no Beatrice, you know, said your father was an innocent man. Hmm. You know, he was, he never, he didn't fight in World War II. He was too young. Mm-hmm. He uh, knew nothing about Holocaust. You know, nobody at that time spoke about the whole. They didn't even have a term for it. There was no the Holocaust was not a term then.
0: Did every, I mean, I I assume not uh, that 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 some people didn't know or didn't know the extent right after
1: well the they war. knew that there was Something concentration camps right. it was in all the news reels they did the nuremberg the trials. trials yes which didn't cover the entirety of that situation right. just the, you know the lead people yeah and you know and then meted out whatever justice so called was meted out but by and large, the entire is history of how six million Jews were murdered um, was hidden. Right. In fact, even in Israel, hmm. there's a book by Tom Segev called The Seventh Million hmm. about the Jews who came to Israel and how the Israelis were, like, ashamed, too. They didn't want to, you know, we didn't want to talk about this. Mm-hmm. It was a shameful thing. And I remember when I was growing up, even my father made fun of my mother about hmm. it. Okay. Even he made fun of it. Um, Nobody understood what it was. Right. It was of a magnitude that was incomprehensible.
0: It still is in a a way, but yes. And
1: the Jews were like, you know what? Let's not talk about it. Everybody. No, everybody don't want to hear about it.
0: Moving forward. We're moving on. They
1: didn't want to talk. We have to move on. Yeah. But my mother talked about it with me. Yeah. There was no one there to talk about it with in the Bronx.
0: So that's a good segue. Let's. Um, I'm assuming you're born early fifties, 52. fifty-two. Yeah. So um, we can we can skip the the early stuff, and if, if you want to talk about those conversations that your mom had yes. with you, or or anything else about your upbringing. Uh, in so until
1: your... I was five, she didn't mention the Holocaust, and she was very relatively happy. She uh, had my brother and I. It was a very traumatic birth. Uh, she was very sick. Yours yeah. or your brother? Hers, she got very sick. No, my brother and I were like two healthy horses. I mean, we were completely.
0: She got sick having you or your brother?
1: She got. Well, my brother and I are fraternal twins. We were born oh, the okay. same time. Okay. She got uh, very sick from that birth, but she was very happy. She was very, very happy to have. She got her baby, her American baby. Oh, yeah. She, like her dream, she got two. And two for you the know, price this one. Was, She was very happy. We lived in projects. We were the only white people on the projects. Uh, my father, that's all he could afford. In the Bronx, you said? In the Bronx, or... the okay. Patterson House Projects. Okay. And all my early friend, childhood friends were African-American. Mm-hmm. It, to me, it was normal. It was just Sure. Clean. And uh, it was normal, actually. <laughs> it was very yeah. normal. So, well, what happened was when she was five, she. Um, she got pregnant and, and lost a little girl at term, mm. nine months. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, she was surrounded, she was French, couldn't speak English very well, surrounded by Americans, you know, me and my brother, these two, you know, you American kids in the <laughs> <Yeah>. Bronx, and <laughs> yeah. my father, you know, and then his relations, you know, she had no friends, right? nobody around. And... Um, I think she was hoping that that little girl would be like her connection, hmm. you know what I mean? Like the mom and, the, and the little daughter, mm-hmm. kind of little world of their own, and mm. the child died. And I remember when she went off, before she went off, she was like the happiest, good natured. When she came back from the loss of that little girl, she was a transformed person, Yeah. like different. wow she lost she lost her mind
0: and you were five
1: we were five her brother and I
0: so you remember that I remember it clearly yeah
1: I remember when she came back for you know she wasn't she didn't come back immediately she was gone for like a couple of months she was sick in the hospital Um, and uh, so we had we were like putting a Jewish home for orphans for like a month
0: wow weird stuff
1: yeah because my father couldn't take care of us, you know he was off gambling and <laughs> he was busy he was busy yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. anyway um but I remember when she came back we were um, she was a different human being, yeah, I remember she had lost lost her mind in a, in a in a very real way I mean she was crazy
0: so that must have affected your your time living there from five.
1: Well, she became violent okay she became violent and she began talking about the holocaust mm-hmm. so when i was like five, six, seven, eight, nine you know my my i didn't have any harry potter to, my you know hearing about you know hitler and the nazis and killing the jews and the horrors that she witnessed and the things that she saw and what happened to the jewish people were my harry potter stories. you know like i'm five years old with my mother and she would it was like a ritual like she'd wake me up at like two o'clock in the morning crying and hysterical Um, a couple of times she tried to commit suicide she like threatening to jump out the window or she would lock herself in the bathroom and collapse to the floor and i hear her on the floor crying and screaming and i'd be there i was five years old mommy mommy rattling the door come out come out and uh and then when she would come out, sometimes she would start to hit me, like for no mm. reason. Mm-hmm. And that was terrible. I remember it, it's very mild, Very even now I remember Yeah. <laughs> I'm 68 and I still remember it in my body. Right. And, uh, and then I would go back to bed and then she would come back in and get me out of bed again and take me into the bedroom. She had a valise, like a little suitcase, with photographs of people from her family who were killed or or people who, friends who died. And she would take these pictures out and start to talk about them. Mm -hmm. And then she would talk about the Holocaust, about her experiences. And that was a weird experience because that was a moment of like real bonding with like my mother. She was very nice to me. Um, she would speak to me in this very nice way. Just you or you and your brother? My brother wanted n- <laughs> nothing. He's my brother, quit. she didn't even think of talking to my brother, but he couldn't care less. Interesting. He, but I was like a mama's boy. I was like, mommy, yeah. you know, I want to help mommy. Yeah. And uh, she always only hit me. She never hit my brother.
0: Huh.
1: Um, I used to say, why me? She'd tell me, well, you were older than your brother. I said, but by how much she goes four, I was four minutes older than her birth. I was the firstborn she said your birth caused me all my suffering His, he just came right out but I was the one who ma- mangled her up inside so she had a very special kind of connection to me you know I was the one who almost killed her right of course I didn't you know, understand any of that when I was a kid you're five yeah I was five years old six <laughs> seven eight this was my experience for like until around 12 seven years okay and then when i turned 12 strange that 12 age you know we moved back to the bronx because we were traveling around and Mm -hmm. all this we came came back to the bronx we would like because of my father and his gambling debts they would come to collect from my like break his legs (laughs) (laughs) so we had to leave new york We would leave. My mother and my brother and I would get on Greyhound buses and travel different crazy places. Okay. And then when my father said it's okay to come back, we would come back. Um, And uh, so when I turned 12, we moved back to the Bronx, to an area, to a neighborhood in the Bronx where we stayed. For six years, was that because I was eighteen?
0: Your dad stopped incurring debts, or what, no? What he happened? started
1: working for the post office. The post office is, is like there's a certain culture there. Yeah, and um, so anyway, can we maybe fast forward yeah, just
0: just sure. a little bit maybe to like your teenage years or your early adult years and and then and then get us to san francisco
1: so you know my brother and i would he's like two little chubby boys you know mama boys i mean completely mama boys thrown into the bronx into the schoolyard of the bronx and so my brother he beat a fast retreat but i kind of got into the schoolyard mix Mm -hmm. and I got the crap beat out of me but I kept coming back and coming back and then when I was 13 I shot up to six feet tall okay um you know I I was falling on my face I had no balance but (laughs) but I got I got into athletics in the in the schoolyard okay I fell in with a crew of guys who were always getting into trouble but were into athletics and uh, by the time I was 15 I was I was a bad boy and uh Went to DeWitt Clinton High School when I was 16. That was the uh, 7,200 boys, all boys. Oh, wow. It was the biggest all boys high school in the world. And had the best football team in New York City. Went out for football and made it. Uh, So I made the junior varsity and the varsity. Played in the city championship. Oh, wow. This is Uh, late
0: 60s now? Yeah. Mid to late 60s? 67,
1: 68, 69. Got it. And uh, I also, they had a literary magazine. The Magpie. I became the editor of the literary magazine. So I was playing varsity football. I was the editor of the literary magazine. I was living in a whole I was starting to move towards what I wanted, right? And uh, what I could do to get out of the Bronx. I just wanted out. Hmm, okay. Bronx. I wanted out of there.
0: Did you know where you wanted to go yet? No. That's what you had to figure out.
1: No, I was reading. Uh, <laughs> you know, I went into a stationary store on 170th Street in the Bronx one day and there was like you just to have these magazine racks of news, paperbacks books I pull out this paperback book called On the Road oh yeah
0: Jack Heard Kerouac of it.
1: Mm-hmm. it was because of the cover the cover had this guy looking like cool like he's hitchhiking and this beautiful girl you know And it's like oh wow what's this On the Road you know and I had some road in my background from all the traveling the Greyhound weekend. trips the yeah. Greyhound trips so I said yeah. what is this I, I just that book just Stole my soul. <laughs> okay. That was like my real first.
0: Would was, you say it was you by yourself, or did you have friends who were into some of that? it nah, was just, nothing. just you. No,
1: all the guys I knew in the Bronx were. No. They were all heading towards heroin addiction, crime, and uh, I had one friend who played football. He got out. Um, no. No, it wasn't them. They, nobody, nobody was talking about Jack Kerouac in the schoolyard. Right. Or anything. Right. In high school, I had a teacher named Mr. Greenhouse who made me the, the editor in chief. And he, he talked, he mentioned Kerouac. You know, I told him, you know, I'm reading on the road. He's like, oh, cool, you know. And he told me about Kerouac and
0: mm-hmm.
1: all that. But uh, that, that book changed my life. Sure. That book totally changed my life. It gave Absolutely. me the, the vision of another way. You know, another out, a way out. Mm -hmm. A way out that was literary, it didn't require you to be a millionaire, and you know, you could just put on a rough backpack and just take off.
0: That was Alan Kaufman. On the next episode of Story San Francisco, Alan would describe his arrival in the city. Please join us for part two this Thursday. Music for Storied San Francisco is by Otis McDonald. Photography is by Michelle Kilfeather. The show is hosted and produced by me. Michelle and I have produced more than 130 episodes over the last three years, and you can find them all at our website, storiedsf.com. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, where you can like, comment, and share the stuff we put out. Find the podcast just about everywhere you can listen, including, most recently, BFF.fm's new podcast network. Please subscribe to stay up to date on all the content we publish. We love feedback, so if you have any, our email is storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. Stay strong, stay safe, and stay healthy.